The story's been told of a train ride. It was a train ride back before they had electric lights inside of all the train cars. So the only light was from the, the light of the sun. And in this one particular car of the train, there was an English lord in there. He, and he was there with two women that he didn't know. And both of these women appeared to be very prim and proper, dressed very neatly, uh, very polite. Story goes, as the train went on its route, it came to a tunnel through a mountain, a, a naturally dark tunnel. And story says that as they went through the tunnel, the man grabbed his hand and started making loud kissing noises on his hand. You know, you can just imagine it. And they come out of the tunnel and they get to the train station. And he looks at the two ladies and he says, I'd like to thank whichever one of you that was for that wonderful time in the tunnel. The two ladies just stared at each other with questions in their eyes. And what is going on here? Some of you want to try that sometime, right? <laughs> it's a funny story, but I thought it, it's often when we're going through the dark times and maybe coming out of them that we come out confused. Like, what in the world just happened or what in the world is going on here? How many of you know that when you go through the dark times of life? Mike Breen has been doing missional community work in Europe for decades. He talks about time. And in the New Testament, there are two Greek words for time. One of those words is chronos, which you, you hear chronology and all those things. And it's just time as it goes on. But he talks about another moment in time in a life that's called kairos. See kairos moments in the New Testament. We have kairos moments in our lives. Those are the, the crisis moments where something big breaks in. A big change happens, and it's an opportunity to learn and grow deeper with God. A Kairos moment could be a good thing. It could be a promotion that you've been praying for. It could be a wedding. It could be the birth of a child. Or it could be an extremely painful moment in our lives. It could be when you get the news that you have cancer, or you've lost your job or your spouse is leaving and not coming back. Kairos moments are those big moments where God often breaks in and helps us grow deeper with him. Last night, our missional community uh, went out and we ended up at Chipotle at the end of the evening. Chipotle is very missional <laughs> to, to my belly. <laughs> I took down the whole burrito. It's already spreading, huh? You weren't even there and you heard that? <laughs> I ate the whole burrito. Did anybody else eat their whole one? Noah? Aaron? Okay, see, I'm not alone. All right, we got it. All right. <laughs> well, while we're there hanging out with our missional community and just having a great time, I was sitting across from my beautiful wife, Carolyn, and I was blessed as, as I heard her sharing a Kairos moment with someone else in the group from her own life. Uh, she was sharing with someone else in the group about the time when she was 19 and went through an extremely painful breakup with a boyfriend at the time. And she was sharing the pain of that 
and the questions that come with that. And, the, you know, it's moments like that where we get these questions like, what, what's going on here, God? What are you doing? Uh, where are you in this? It was a Kairos moment in her life. I'll come back to that in a moment, but when we get to moments like that, and maybe you're in one right now, maybe you're coming out of one. It's been said you're either about to go into one, you're in one, or you just came out of one. That's, that's life here on earth. Sometimes at those moments when doubts set in, right? If we're honest. Kent Crockett said this, doubts occur when what we expect to happen isn't happening. Or what shouldn't be happening in our minds is happening. Circumstances are in direct conflict with what we believe. This causes us to be confused and waver between the two, wondering which is right. Been there? You're not alone. Some of the people we love to read about in the Bible have been there. Moses, you remember these words? The people are screaming out for meat in the desert. Numbers 11, he cries out to God, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. Got anybody putting constant crazy demands on you, driving you crazy? I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. How many of you knew Moses said that to God? Elijah, right after the, the biggest victory of his career on Mount Carmel, finds out that Jezebel is hunting him down. 1 Kings 19, verse 3. As Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. How many of you could say this with him? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Jeremiah, shortened to the point, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Jeremiah had a job of preaching to an obstinate people that wanted nothing to do with his message and was persecuted on an ongoing basis. Cursed be the day I was born. You say, those are all Old Testament. Well, let me tell you about Paul. 2 Corinthians 1. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That brings me back to Carolyn's story. After that breakup, she shared that even though she had trusted in Jesus as a six-year-old, it was after that breakup, going through that pain, that she realized for the first time that Jesus was the lover of her soul and he was the only one that could meet those deepest needs that no man could ever need to meet. It was one of those moments where he became more real in her life. And she shared a quote this week on Facebook that, that summed up the idea of that when you're in that Kairos moment. Sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so you will discover 
that he is the rock at the bottom. Toby Mac. John the Baptist, of all people we're going to read today, had one of these Kairos moments in his life that brought him to a place of doubt. Did you know that? Did you hear what I said? John the Baptist, the fiery preacher in the desert who prepared the way for the Messiah, had doubts. I want to explore it today. I want to explore his genuine doubt in contrast with the prideful unbelief of many of the leaders of Israel at that time. And as we go along, I think and pray that God has some things to show us. John's genuine doubt comes first. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. He's, he ministered for about a year, preparing the way for Jesus. And if you remember, he went and confronted Herod about an affair that he was having with someone that wasn't his wife. King Herod didn't like that. Locked him up. He's in prison. Chances are he's been in prison for a few months by the time this chapter happens, sitting there. You can imagine someone who loves the desert and the wilderness and doing things for God, what a dark prison cell would do to a personality like that. Anybody in here just got to do and go and be outside? Bob. Imagine being cooped up in a cell for months. <laughs> That's John here. So his disciples uh, bring him a message in verse 18. It says, John's disciples told him about all these things. What's all these things? All the things that Jesus was doing. He was healing people. He had just raised a widow's son from the dead. They go back and tell him these things. And he calls two of them. And it says he sent two of his disciples to the Lord, to Jesus, to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist asked that question. This is the guy who baptized Jesus and heard the voice from heaven and saw the dove come down. John the Baptist had questions. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Wow. Now you put yourself in his shoes, right? I believe John the Baptist probably knew his Old Testament prophecies well. Jesus himself had quoted some of them in Nazareth about his ministry. One of the things he said, you remember, was, I have come to set the prisoners free. Okay. After a couple months in prison, you can imagine John starting to say, okay, here I am. <laughs> I know that prophecy. Where, where are you at? I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, hey, I know I'm just the bridegroom's friend, but uh, maybe I could get a little help from the bridegroom here. I did spend all those months in the desert preaching for you. Sometimes we get disillusioned, don't we? We can relate to John. You also remember some of the things that John had preached. He had talked about an axe at the root of the trees, fire of judgment, the kingdom of God being set up. I think he's looking around saying, hey, where's the axe at the root of the trees? I, I see Jesus healing a lot of people and loving a lot of people. 
teaching a lot. I don't see any acts at the root of the trees. He talked about Jesus as the suffering Lamb of God, and he may have even been wondering there, where's the suffering? I mean, Jesus is partying with tax collectors and sinners. That's what the disciples are telling me. What, what was going on here? His expectations of Jesus weren't matching fully who Jesus was. What Jesus was doing and when he was doing it didn't line up with John's expectations of Jesus. And isn't that the same two areas that often cause us to question? When God does something different than what we wanted him to do, and when he does it in a different time pattern than we were wishing for, <laughs> that's when we start to question as well. But what I love about John's genuine doubt is that he admitted he had it. And he sent his question to the one place you should have sent it to, to Jesus Christ himself. A beautiful model for when we have our questions too. He didn't deny it. He didn't just keep on down that chronos line. He realized, hey, this is a Kairos moment. And he sent his question to Jesus. I want to look at Jesus' response to John. There's a lot of routes Jesus could take here, right? John, you're at the baptism, dude. How dare you question me? That's what some of us expect here, isn't it? Maybe that's what we've grown up with anytime we have a question or go through a hard time. Just smile, John. <laughs> oh, listen to what Jesus does. Our gentle merciful Savior. He said, it says at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, the ones John had sent, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He sends back an answer that should have said to John, John, the things I'm doing fulfill Old Testament prophecy about me. All these things were foretold, a majority of them in the Old Testament. John, look, here's the prophecies. Here's what I'm doing. He sent back an answer to him. I love that about Jesus. This last line is a, a turning point in the message. It's a key point. He says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That word stumble has the idea of being trapped because our expectations don't line up with Jesus. Jesus said he would be this kind of stumbling block for many. He kind of came in and he is who he is. And at the beginning of Luke, he said, I'm going to reveal the hearts of many based on how they respond to me. Isaiah had said Jesus would be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. And I think if, this is just my paraphrase, so take this loosely. What, what I hear Jesus saying to John here is don't let your expectations about me blind you to the truth of who I really am. 
Because really, when we go with our expectations above who Jesus really is, we may call our expectations Jesus, but that is an idol. He's saying, don't get caught up in your expectations above who I am. When your expectations differ from who I am, you have to decide, will you go with your expectations, your idol, or will you go with me? It's a good question for all of us. And I think what's going on in Jesus' ministry, when John thought about the kingdom, and it will be this way someday, Jesus is going to come back and boom, this world is going to change in an instant. He's going to rule with an iron scepter and things are going to be the way they should be on this planet. That's what John wanted and that's what we're yearning for when we look at the pain in the world. But what Jesus is saying is, hey, the method right now is grace and we're going to change this world one life at a time as they come to me for healing and salvation. He's still doing that today. And for those of us who wish, how would you come back and just fix it all? He says, the primary reason he's waiting is so that more will come to repentance. His way of working right now is one life at a time as we take the message of Jesus to others. And his timing was different than John's. As I said, Jesus will bring the judgment and the righteousness and the full-on reign. For now, he's exhibiting that grace. But I love that, that John reached out to Jesus and Jesus sent him an answer in his doubts. Paul Tripp said this, and he just got out of a long stay in the hospital. So this is probably fresh in his life. He said, there's never a time when you need to be surrounded by voices who preach to you the gospel more than when suffering has entered your door. Do you hear that? When suffering enters our door, that's when we need others around us preaching the truth of the gospel to us. John needed to hear that from Jesus. When we go through our suffering, unlike any other time, that's when we need to draw the body of Christ around us and allow them to speak into our lives. Fred, Frederick Buchner said something that kind of made me laugh. He said, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Because what happens when we, when we face a doubt? It if it's genuine doubt, it causes us to look for answers. And Ray Pritchard says that it's often the things that we doubt and work through that after we process it, we end up believing the strongest. Have you been there? Billy Graham was there. You look at the decades of powerful ministry that Billy Graham had across our country and the world, and some might assume that man never had a doubt in his life. Not true. Not true. Early on in his ministry, when he worked for Youth for Christ, there was another man named Charles Templeton who began to doubt the veracity and the truth of the Bible and actually went on to turn away from the Bible and say it's not true. This was a preaching partner of Billy Graham's, and, and young Billy Graham was at a crisis point in his ministry. Will I go with Charles Templeton or will I go with the Word of God? And there was a time in his life where he went to a retreat in the woods wrestling with this question. And he went out in the woods, and as he shares his story, he put his Bible on a stump in the woods, almost like an altar to God. And this is what he said 
after wrestling with what Charles Templeton was doing in the Tao that he had. Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I cannot answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions Charles and others are raising. And then he fell to his knees. He says the Holy Spirit moved in him and he said, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts and I will believe this to be your inspired word. That's encouraging to me when I looked at a guy like John the Baptist and a guy like Billy Graham wrestle with doubts. And that when we process them and take them to Jesus, we can actually end up coming out stronger. Now look what Jesus says about John after the messengers go back. This is so awesome. Because again, you wonder, what's, what's Jesus going to say about John? Is this his chance to rag on him a little bit? And, oh, he, he lifts him up and affirms him. Verse 24, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Someone just that goes this way and that way based on what everybody's seeing and saying? No, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, John wasn't about things of this world. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. He's saying, John's not a vacillator. Okay, he has questions right now. And you may have heard his messengers ask me that. John is a man of faith. Even though he has these questions. He says, what'd you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I love that Jesus affirms that John is a man of faith, even after he's just asked a question. Do you see the mercy and love of Jesus as John processes doubt? Do you see it? Would you receive that for yourself when you wrestle with your own questions? Would you have that kind of mercy on other believers when they go through questions? I had someone call me this week going through some hard times, and before they started sharing about them, they started to apologize. I'm sorry I can't bring a good report. I'm sorry I can't bring a, pray, a praise. I'm sorry I'm not happy right now. And I said, hold up. <laughs> hold up. Why are you apologizing? <laughs> Look, faith does not require a fake plastic smile, and it's not the same as positive thinking where I just pretend like everything's okay when it's not. Real faith can go into the valley with me. And hold on to Jesus even as I wrestle with questions. So please don't apologize. Let's talk and let, let's pray. And the person said, you're so filled with grace. And I told her the reason I answered that way is I went through two years of brutal doubts myself. And I still wrestle with questions from time to time today. But two years where where I was either going to grab onto Jesus with all I had or I was going to throw it away. And that was in Bible college of all places. 
I was merciful to her because Jesus was merciful to me because Carolyn was merciful to me as she wrestled with that with her new husband who used to be passionate about Jesus and now he's filled with questions. See, if Jesus is merciful with us when we have genuine doubt, we ought to be merciful on ourselves. We ought to be merciful on those next to us who are going through it. No more stop being sad. No more just pretend it's okay. No more just believe and get on with it. Let's walk through the valley with them. Speaking truth to them along the way. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. How many of you read that? He said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. I like that. I, I might say it might just be a sign that he's alive in this painful world. <laughs> it's real. Now, what about John and us? Verse 28, Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus not only lifts John up, he lifts those of us up who live in the kingdom with him. Warren Wiersbe says it's better to be part of the kingdom than to announce it. Bailey said being least in the kingdom of God is better than being the best anywhere else. (laughs) You want to know the age we live in? Sometimes we take it for granted. But listen to what Peter says about the age that we live in. Concerning this salvation, the salvation that many in this room enjoy, the prophets, all those guys in the Old Testament, maybe even John, who who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. They, They all wanted to know more about what we're living in. What is this all about? They were having to strain and try to look into the future and see it. We're we're living it. Verse 12 says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The privileges that you and I have today, the Holy Spirit living inside of us and never leaving, the complete inspired word of God on our bookshelves, the body of Christ to walk this walk with us are things that other men could only dream of. Things that angels wish they knew more about. And what I want to ask us is, as we wrestle through our doubts, are we taking advantage of everything that God has given us? Or do we just take it for granted? Do we take for granted that we've got the counselor and the encourager, God himself, living inside of us? We've got his word on our bookshelves. We've got brothers and sisters to turn to and say, help me through this. Are we taking advantage of those privileges? I hope so. Now I want to talk about the prideful unbelief that contrasted with John's genuine doubt, okay? I believe John had genuine doubt. First, we'll look at the humble faith of many uh, of the people. Verse 29, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. 
because they had been baptized by John. You see the humility there, the hunger for righteousness that those people knew they needed, the tax collectors. It seemed like Luke's always talking about the tax collectors. He, he loved those guys. He loved them. They were humble. They knew they needed Jesus, so they responded when John said, hey, repent, prepare yourself. And the baptism that they did with John was a sign of that humble belief. In contrast, the prideful unbelief of the leaders. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. The baptism was just a sign. The problem was they heard what John was saying, we're good, okay? We don't need this. And they rejected it. And McLaren talks a lot about how you don't have to do a lot. And this is kind of humbling and scary at the same time to reject Jesus. All you have to do is do nothing with what you hear of who he is. Just ignore it. Just keep on going through your life as though you don't need it. Dangerous, prideful, unbelief. And the core of it was they were choosing their expectations over the truth of who Jesus was. Jesus brings this out in the next verses. He went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. What's he saying? He's like, they're like kids trying to get other kids to play by their rules. And, and when they don't, they get upset because you're not playing by my rules. And they can't even decide what their rules are. They keep changing them. And they, they look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was kind of an ascetic. He lived in the desert. He fasted. All these hardcore religious things. He came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. Okay, they're not happy with fasting. All right, and hanging out in the desert. That guy has a demon. So then comes Jesus, eating and drinking. What do you do? You say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You cannot be made happy because it's all about playing by your rules and your expectations. The challenge to them will be, from Jesus, put me above your expectations. Stop making what you think more important than the, the truth. When you look at their prideful unbelief, I think about a couple quotes. One's from our own Justin Presnell. A Justin Presnell original. This was Del Taco, Prescott Valley, this Thursday. <laughs> he said, doubt has questions. Unbelief has already made up its mind. You see the difference? Warren Wiersbe says a similar thing. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why he's doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. These guys weren't happy either way. They weren't happy with John. They weren't happy with Jesus. They put their expectations above all else. One man said this, people who want to avoid the truth about themselves can always find something in the preacher to criticize. Object to this man that he's too learned and doctrinal, to that one that he's too illiterate and gives no food for thought, to this one that he's always thundering condemnation, to that one that he's always running over with love, to this one that he's perpetually harping upon duties, to that other one that he's up in the clouds and forget the tasks of daily life, to this one that he's sensational, to that one that he's dull, and so on and so on. 
the generation that like neither piping nor mourning has its representative still. Because isn't it easy to find a problem with the message of Jesus than to actually say, what needs to change in me? That requires us laying down our pride. I want to close by coming back to the idea of Kairos moments because there were Kairos moments for John and the Pharisees and they both handled them very differently. Daryl Bach says, disappointment often calls us to a deeper, less self-focused walk with God. Have you found that? That sometimes when, it's walk, when you walk through the valley, your walk grows deeper. C.S. Lewis, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I like the way Mike Breen breaks this down because the, the line at the top is that chronos line, just time that goes on. And the X is where the kairos moment breaks in. And maybe you've got a specific kairos moment in mind right now, something that you're in the middle of, a crisis moment. And he says, we have a choice at that point. We can be like the Pharisees and just ignore the Kairos moment and keep on going down the road and miss an opportunity to come to Jesus, to grow in him. Or we can be like John. This Kairos moment hits, these crises, he's in prison, this doubt. And he talks about the, the two-sided process of repenting, changing our mind about who Jesus is, and believing, trusting what he says. And he breaks it down to a couple steps. We only see John going for, through the first three because we don't know how he responded. We know he spent the rest of his life in prison and was eventually beheaded. We don't know how he res- the message got to him from Jesus, but we, we see the first half. First, John's observing what's going on, right? That's the step where Mike Breen says, hey, observe what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're reacting to what's going on. John's looking inside and saying, I got some questions. Maybe that's you this morning. I got some questions. I'm, I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm irritable. I'm, I'm impatient. What's going on? Then you reflect on it. Why, why do I have questions? Uh, why am I so angry with the people around me right now? Why am I not believing God? Why, whatever. It could be a number of things. And then you discuss it with another disciple, another believer in Jesus. That's what John did the best he could through his messengers, right? I've observed, I've reflected, and I'm going to send this to Jesus for a discussion so I can process this. Now, we don't have the rest of this for John, but for us, the second half is asking, all right, in the middle of this Kairos moment, what promises has God made that I need to have faith in? What are those promises I need to hold on to? And and then you begin to make a plan as to how you proceed. And the account is you become accountable to another believer because this walk isn't supposed to be alone. Discipleship isn't alone. We're supposed to do this together. And after you become accountable, then you act. And he says this process can happen over and over and over throughout our lives. And it's different each time. Some of us guys who like to race through things might think, hey, sweet, half an hour, I can get this down on a piece of paper and... That's not the idea. This, this process could take months or years, but it's just a helpful tool. How do I process through this Kairos moment? For those of you who aren't so visual, Ray Pritchard suggested four things to do with genuine doubt. First thing he said, admit your doubts. Tell somebody about them and ask their help. Uh, act on what you know to be true, not your doubts. 
you know, often, even when we're doubting some part of our walk, there's other parts we know to be true. Act on that. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. And keep going back to what you know to be true. That's what to do with genuine doubt. I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't talk about what to do with prideful unbelief. Because there may be somebody in this room that's there as well. I don't know. The answer there is poignant and to the point. God's word says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand this morning that he may lift you up. His word says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As you think of your own Kairos moments, I want to close with a quote that I actually saw on one of the Finkston's Facebook page. I, I forget who it was. It was powerful. Jerry's pointing at Deborah. <laughs> you don't, it's a good quote. You, can, you don't want to take credit for it? Okay. <laughs> the, the quote said this, and, and you guys know this, and so that's, that's why it's so powerful. It said, God doesn't always protect us from the furnace. Sometimes he meets us right in the middle of the flames when we're in a kairos moment that's a, that's a powerful word Father I just thank you for your word I thank you uh, for your mercy and your patience with us as people trying to process who you are uh, God I thank you that you shared that John the Baptist had questions if, if your word was just propaganda and trying to make everything look good and sparkly you never would have included that, but your word is real and we can relate to him because there are some of us in this room this morning that are wrestling with a, a question about what you're doing or when you're doing it, who you are. And uh, Father, I just thank you that we have his model of going to you with our questions, going to the body of Christ with our questions. Father, I pray that... Uh, you administer to us in that place. Father, that you'd help us to be real with you and with each other, and that you'd speak words of truth to us. Father, as I think of furnaces, I think of the, the Mueller family and the news this week. Tony up here lives right next door to him. It's the pain and the questions that Kayla's parents must be wrestling with. Is she alive? Is she not? Uh, Lord, we lift them up to you and we stand with them as a community and I pray that you show us along the way how we can do that well to minister to that family. Father, we, we proclaim our trust in you even when we look around and we do have big question marks and a lot of anger fury at what's going on in our world we trust you Father I just pray like I read this week Philip Yancey talked about faith give us the faith that allows me to believe that despite the chaos of the present moment you do reign that regardless of how worthless I may feel I truly matter to a God of love that no pain lasts forever and no evil triumphs in the end give us the faith that sees even the darkest deed of all history the death of your son as a necessary prelude to the brightest moment in history Father 
pour that upon us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Minister to the broken. Bring healing and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.